0: Last Sunday, we began a mini-series entitled Best News Ever. Best News Ever. We started by establishing the fact that our world needs to change. Pretty obvious when we look around it. And it needs changing. And we reached the conclusion that it's, it's not enough to educate change, legislate change, or throw money at a problem to change it. The fundamental root cause of the problems we face is human nature. The human heart. In order to change society for the better, change the world, one needed to change men and women from the inside out. We need to change the heart, change of the nature, change the person inside. And there's only one person that's ever claimed to have the power or proved to have the ability to change people and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth and the life." In John 10:10, 10, 10, he says, "I have come that they may have life and might have it to the full." And then 2 Corinthians 5:17 says, "Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation; the old has gone, the new has come." Jesus carries that transformative power, the ability to to change our lives. We address the fact that the the church is not just a safe house or a fortress, a a place to escape from all the problems around the world. The church does not exist for itself alone. The church has a mission, a mission. The church is God's change agent in the world. We're not just to have our lives changed in order to selfishly enjoy this abundant life and eternal life. We are changed by Jesus in order to, to change the world. And what is our mission? In Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Making disciples or followers of Jesus is a process. It's not an event. It's not a one-time event and it's over. It's a process. It's a journey, not a destination. And we looked last week at this process or, or journey. We looked at, uh, and we'll, we'll pull the angle scale up. It's on, in your notes in the program as well, on, on side two of your, of your notes. Something called the angle scale. This angle scale represents where everyone is in their spiritual journey. We're all in a spiritual journey. We have a relationship with, the, with, with the, the spiritual realm and with God in some capacity. And we saw at a minus five that there was, a, there was no awareness of a supreme being. There are people that either don't acknowledge or they don't care or they have no awareness of a supreme being. Then there are those that have an awareness of a supreme being, but they have no working knowledge or no knowledge that, of this God. And then minus three is an awareness of and a positive attitude toward the gospel. That means that people are aware that that God loved people so much that we mattered to God so much that he sent Jesus to reestablish that relationship with him. So Jesus came and demonstrated who God was, but, but he also died. God died for us and was resurrected so that we could know God personally. And that's where some people are. They're aware of that but there, there's also a need to, to take action on that and to repent and have faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just a passive intellectual assent to a set of theological or religious propositions. It's an actual belief in and placing trust in that. And then there's the, 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 what, what Jesus called being born again, a new creation. And there's a process along that. Now, all of us are somewhere along this scale. And as we looked at Our message last Sunday, we looked at two stories about people who had experienced this particular transition or change coming through this angle scale and reaching that point of being born again, the, the new creation. These two, in particular, had experienced crises or challenges in their life that that demonstrated or raised their, their level of receptivity to Jesus, understanding that they needed more than what they could provide. They needed something more. They needed God. And these challenges brought them into that realization. When we experience a challenge, we realize that our resources are inadequate and our answers are lacking. And there's a new openness and a receptivity to spiritual things. Now, as we talk about this whole process, it's called evangelism or uh, sharing the good news. Um, if you're not a church person or if this is your first time or whatever, and it's kind of weird, do you just hang in there? Um, it doesn't all make sense in the first time you're here. And so, but, but I want to talk to us today about what it means to share our faith with other people. Because we're not to be just passive People that just sit around and just believe what we believe. It's made to be shared, just like when you discover something good, you discover the best recipe you've ever seen for barbecue, or you discover the best doctor you've ever seen, or the best health supplement, or best diet, you, know, you wanna share it, okay? So when you have good news, it's just natural to share it, and when we have good news of Jesus Christ, it's natural, or should be supernatural and natural, to share that. And evangelism, this process, is about building relational bridges to people to earn the right to share our faith. So it helps them move along the journey on the angle scale. Now, how does this happen? How does this happen? How do we engage in this process that that is called evangelism? First of all, it has to do with, number one, relationships or building bridges. Relationships or building bridges. We all have relationships with different people, different types of relationships. And, and we share different things with different people. If we're really close to them, we'll share the most important things with them. And there are existing relationships or there are existing bridges. Wyn Arne calls this the oikos factor. Oikos is the Greek word for household. And he writes this, he says, in the Greco-Roman culture, oikos described not only the immediate family in the house, but included servants, servants, families, friends, and even business associates. In other words, an oikos was one severe of influence, his or her social system composed of those related to each other through either common kinship ties or tasks or territories that lived in the same time. For us today, your oikos, your sphere of influence could be uh, uh, a brother or sister, it could be a cousin, it could be a neighbor, a a work associate, someone you work out with at the gym or the health club, someone you play racquetball with, some some with whom you go hunting or fishing together, a person you serve with on the PTA. There are lots of associations that we have with different people. Every one of them, every one of them are part of our sphere of influence, or oikos. Now, Kenneth LaTourette said this, because we have some misconceptions about how the church operated in the first century. He said, the primary change agents in the spread of faith in the first century were men and women who earned their livelihood in some purely secular manner, and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion. Some people think the phenomenal growth of the early church took place because of a few dedicated apostles. You know, we think about Peter, Paul, and James and John and all those superhero Christians that were there. And that was not the case, absolutely not. It grew explosively because of the laity, because of ordinary men and women telling their friends and family about Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation. Ordinary people. That's how how the church took off. It wasn't because of some great spiritual giants that we hear about. And Michael Green observes, the early Christians knew that when the message of faith was heard and demonstrated by friends and family who were known and trusted, receptivity to the gospel increased tremendously. Trusted relationship. When someone trusts you, they're going to listen to what you say. And we establish trust by relationship relationship. There's an interesting study done by Charles and Wynne over 30 years ago now, asked 14,000 people, they asked them this question, what or who, what or who was responsible for your coming to Christ? What or who was responsible for your coming to Christ? And they divided the responses into eight categories, and it's listed on your notes, it's going to be on the screen as well. There were eight categories that were listed. This is what or who brought me to Christ. One was a special need, or uh, there was a walk-in, a pastor, uh, a visitation program, a Sunday school, uh, ministry, whatever, evangelistic crusade, a church program, or a friend or relative. All these were ways in which people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing is that people came to faith in Jesus in many different ways. But 75 to 90% of the people that came to faith in Christ said it was because of a friend or relative. A family or friends. A friend or relative. Now, the same study, that was over 30 years ago. The same study was conducted in 2016, about a year and a half ago in 2016 by Gary McIntosh, he was published in the book Growing God's Church, how people are actually coming to faith today. It's a great book, in fact, we're gonna go through it as a leadership team soon. How people are actually coming to faith today. And while there are some significant differences, the common denominator is that over 60%, 60% plus of new believers come to Jesus as a result of a relationship. It's a relationship, and most of them as a result of a conversation of some sort. A conversation. And women more often had a conversation with family members. Men more often conversation with other friends. It's, it's relationships. It's relationships. Also for Christians and church family, those of you that are Christians and church families and you're concerned about your children following the faith and coming to Christ, he writes of particular emphasis was regular attendance at church, family devotions, and Bible reading at home. He said, if you practice these things, regular church attendance, family devotions, and Bible reading at home, and combined with the modeling of a godly life by parents, there's a huge, huge percentage of children come to faith in Christ because of that. Parents and the home, we have an enormous influence on our children. Relationships, building bridges, something we do every day, relationships. Evangelism starts with, Relationships. Secondly, there's the giving a verbal witness, giving a verbal witness. We need to understand the basics of the good news of Jesus so we can share with people if they want to know. One of the things that we're doing, as we go through, and this isn't a, this is un- 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 unapologetic push for connect groups because we're going through just walk across the room by Bill Heibels, and, and when you go through it, one of the things about when, when you go through something as scary as evangelism training or whatever, it's, it's nice to know that you can be in a group of other people who are likely, uh, in like-minded and as, as likely as nervous about you are. But the thing is is that you can discuss and talk about it. And during this time we'll be talking about how, how to, how to do that and, and what to do with that. And, and we're going through the book, like I said, just walk across the room. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as walking across a room, literally. And th- that's what we're doing in Connect Groups this winter quarter. But we need to understand the basics, and, and we hope to, by the time we finish that book, understand a lot of the basics. Um, sooner or later, later we're going to all have the opportunity to give a verbal, a verbal understanding of our faith. And, and, and it's important that we understand how to say it. What, how, do I t- how do I tell it? Now, there's, a, there's something that, that, that when we're ready to share our faith, there's something that's called preparation that God does. It's a preparation of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we think we've we got to do all the work in, 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 in sharing our faith. But many times God prepares the way for us. And people may begin to ask you questions about your faith because they notice something is different preparation. Uh, I want to share a story about preparation, how God prepared somebody to, to uh, come to faith. Um, if you follow football, uh, how many of you follow college and professional football a little bit? Okay. How many of you have heard of the uh, the coach Dave Wanstead? Dave Wanstead? Okay. A few of you. Okay. Dave Wanstead. Um, Dave was early in his career as an assistant coach of the Miami Hurricanes. And, uh, we have a good friend named Steve Laban, and uh, Steve was the chaplain of the coaches and players uh, of the Miami Hurricane teams. Not only the, the football, but basketball, etc. He was working through Athletes in Action, which is a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as, as Crew. And what Steve would do is he would, he would go to games, he'd go to practices, and he would spend time with, with players. He built relationships with players. That's what he did. He spent time doing that. He had Bible studies. He'd have players and coaches over to their house for for social events, et cetera. But they built relationships with uh, the staff and players of the Miami Hurricanes. Well, one day, Dave, Coach Dave, um, asked if he could have a lunch meeting with Steve. So he said, sure. So he met met him for lunch. And after an initial conversation at the beginning of their lunch, Dave got to the reason about his request to meet. So Dave told, Coach Dave told Steve, he said, everything in my life is going great. I'm a successful college coach. He said, he said the Canes are ranked number one this season. We're winning. I make great money, so I have a successful career, I have a wonderful wife, kids, a great home, everything I could ever want, okay? So Steve was wondering, what's the punchline? Sounds like this guy has everything together. And then Dave said this, but in spite of all the success, I have this big hole in my life. He said, do you think it could have something to do with God? Whoa! It's like he realized that reaching all that success did not bring his happiness, and there was an emptiness in his heart. There was that God-shaped vacuum in him, and he just asked Steve, could it have anything to do with God? Well, you can drive a Mack truck through that kind of an introduction. And it was an interesting twist on, because last week we talked about receptivity rating as negatives and bad things and challenges that come into our life that make us more receptive to God. Here was success. And God, the Holy Spirit, prepared him with his success, realizing that he didn't have it all together and there was something missing. Steve had a chance then. To lead Dave to Jesus Christ. He was able to give him a verbal witness because he was ready. See, the Holy Spirit does the preparation. We just need to be ready to speak about what we believe for the hope that we have within us. And it was interesting because um, we were in touch with Steve. We would see um, Steve and Arlene to Bar once in a while. We went down to visit him in Miami once not too not too long after that. And he said that. That, that when a, when a high-profile person comes to Christ, you just kind of keep it low-key because it takes a while for the effects of the change, the life change of transformation to, to take place. And so it was about five years later before Dave to actually shared his testimony publicly. And he would admit that he had some language things and some other things he had to, he had to get cleaned up. But God cleaned him up, and, and when he was ready, he shared Christ. With that, Now Dave went on to coach the Chicago Bears, maybe you've seen him there, Penn State, and is now a, a sports broadcaster and commentator for football. So how do most people come to faith? How do they come to faith? Authentic relationships. Steve developed an authentic relationship with Dave. How does that work? What do we do once the relationships are? We give a verbal witness. We, we share what it is. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been attacked by a tract toting fanatic or uh, somebody comes up and it's like they hitch on the head of the Bible and try to convert you. You know, we've all had these nightmare stories. Uh, some people like to, like to do cold turkey evangelism or go up to people they don't know and just expect them to, to come to Christ. Um, and those of you who have been in sales can attest to the fact that cold calls aren't really very effective. The same thing with cold call evangelism or cold turkey evangelism, not really effective. Um, and so we need to look at our, our, how we approach people in that. Again, a research study was conducted that identified 720 people, 720 people who had been contacted with the gospel. And of the 720, 240 had chosen not to respond. 240 of the respondents had initially said yes, but later dropped out. And 240 of them had accepted Jesus and now were active in their church. And each of the persons that was contacted was asked to classify the person who shared Christ with them in one of three categories. One of three categories. If the gospel presenter was perceived as, number one, a salesman, salesman, they made an initial decision, but 71% dropped out. Okay, Salesman. If if they perceived it number two as a teacher, 84% said no thanks. But if that person who shared their faith with them and how to how to come to Christ was perceived as a friend, ninety-four percent said yes and they stayed with it. A friend. See, people are not looking to be sold something. They get approached every day to be sold stuff. People are not looking for a religious teaching. People are looking for authentic relationship, Some, someone genuine, someone who really cares, someone who really loves and is real. They're looking for something that works. People need to see the real, the authentic. And they, they, spot, they spot phonies in a minute. They know, They know if you're real or not. Thirdly, evangelism is ministry to felt needs. Ministry to felt needs. There was an elderly woman in our church in Lakewood, Washington. Her name was Grace Day. She spent most of her time at, at home for health reasons because and she didn't get, get out much. Grace ran our what was called our Meals Ministry, Meals Ministry. She would recruit people and organize meals to be sent to families in need whether well, it's a health crisis or they just had a baby in the family or something happened in their family and they needed help. And these families were in need starving, probably because dads couldn't cook. But that's, that's another story. Or they would just send meals to families going through tough times. Well, Church of Lakewood is very close to Fort Lewis. It was an army post. Today it's Joint Base lewis McCord. And we had a lot of families in our church that were uh, living on post, They're part of the army. And they lived at Fort Lewis. Now, one of our families had a neighbor across the street where the mother had ca- contracted cancer. And the mother had to go into Madigan Army Hospital for extended cancer treatment. She was gone for a lo- lo- long periods of time. So our family called Grace and sent Meals Ministry into gear. Every day for weeks, one of our volunteers brought this family across the street from our f- family, brought them dinner. Now, right next door to the family that was getting the meals, there was a neighbor, a non-churched family, and they watched this happen for a couple weeks, and they saw this happening, and they they finally got curious. And asked the neighbor, seeing the meals delivered, said, who are these people that are giving you meals? And the dad of the family said, they're people from the church of Lakewood. He said, oh, I didn't know you went to church. He said, oh, we don't. You, you don't go to church? You, you, do you know these people? No, we don't know these people. He says, no, our friends across the street go to the church, and they know the people, and so they're bringing meals. Weird, you know, weird. People they don't even know are bringing meals to them? What is the deal here? Her name was Marcia, And Marsha, the wife and mother, became curious. Who would do that? Who would do that for people they don't even know? So she decided to visit our church. She came for two months by herself, and discovered a community of believers who expressed genuine love. They were living out their changed lives, lives changed by Jesus Christ. And one Sunday, one Sunday morning, she came forward during our ministry time, and she told me she wanted what these people had. And she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Marcia began to bring her children, two children, and within one month her children, who were in our children's ministry, gave their hearts to Jesus. Well, the change in Marcia and her children was, was dramatic. Her husband, Lee, which, who was clueless about anything that was going on, observed such a change in his wife and his kids, he began to interrogate them and said, what happened, what's different, Where, what, what's going on? Well, he decided to come and check it out too. Within a three-month period, the entire family came to Christ. Entirely, entire family changed by meals, meals, acts of love, all overseen by Grace Day, essentially a shut-in carried out by volunteer cooks. No great evangelistic crusade. There was no pastor involved. Changed lives. ministry to felt needs. And as happens in in the military, shortly afterwards, Lee and Marsha Bell were transferred by the army to Germany, and they began to share their faith in their neighborhood in Germany. How did I know? Because they wrote and asked for our sermon tapes. We used tapes back then. You guys don't know what cassettes are, but that's what we used back then. And they wanted them sent every week so they could use them for their Bible study as they were doing an evangelistic Bible study in their neighborhood. All started with Grace Day a shut-in doing meals ministry. Felt needs. Think for a moment about all the ways you can demonstrate the love of Jesus to those you know. Ministry to felt needs. Finally, evangelism is personal evidence. Personal evidence. Personal evidence. Every one of us has a story now, some of you think about the dramatic stories of the before and after, and you've heard these dramatic testimonies about uh, the criminal that was converted and came and, complete, and turned into a, an evangelist. And maybe you say, I don't have that big of a, of a difference, but you have a story to tell. Your faith journey is unique, and it will communicate to someone who's in your situation a story. And we desire to equip you to tell your story and give you the tools to share your faith. And I want to share with you just an example of how I took a tool, I actually learned it from Bill Hybels, and incorporated it into sharing my faith in a story. I shared this story at the memorial service for Brian Griffin, some of you may remember. Several years ago, I attended a conference in Louisville, Kentucky, and on the 40-minute flight from Louisville to Cincinnati, where I was to transfer to a plane to Seattle, I sat next to a, a man named Sanjav, an orthopedic surgeon, an immigrant from India. Most people from other countries are very open to having a conversation about just a wide range of topics. And after asking about his occupation, his background, his family, his journey to the United States, I asked him what religion he practiced. He said, I'm a Hindu. So I said to him, I said, I've studied comparative religions, but I prefer to hear directly from people who practice their religion. As a Hindu, what is it you believe and practice? Sanjay was very animated and engaging as he talked about his beliefs. He shared about the three major tenets of his religion. Then he talked about his his children who enrolled in a parochial school. I said, wow. I said, does that present any conflicts or challenges? His answer was, no. He said, all religions are pretty much the same. We're a bilingual family. He said, I guess we also practice by religion. He further expanded his beliefs, talking about the the life cycle. It was kind of an interesting perspective. He said, hypothetically, let's say we have a life of 100 years. 100 years. I would divide that into four parts, he said. The first 25, the first quarter of my life, 25 years, are preparation and training. The second quarter, the 25 years, are marriage, family, occupation, and accumulation. He said, the third quarter, the third 25 years are trying to wean oneself from materialism. I said, I understand that. I've got two daughters in college. Then he said, the final 25 years is preparation for the beyond. I asked him, after that, what then? Sanji answered, well... That's controversial. He says, if you believe you've been good and practiced your religion, you can earn the right to come back again. It's called reincarnation. I asked, what if you're not good enough? Sanjav said, there are two tracks, one for good and one for bad. Don't you Christians have something like that? Heaven and, I said, yeah, we have heaven and hell. I asked, how do you know where you're going? He answered, you can't know. You just hope. I said, that is where Christianity differs from all other religions. We believe you can know. I had read and practiced an approach to share my faith taught by Bill Hybels, and it's found in just walk across the room. It goes like this. The difference between every other religion and Christianity is that all other religions can be described with the word do, D-O. It's about trying to do enough good things to please God. The problem is we can never know when we've done enough. And the the Bible tells us we never can do enough. We all fall short. On contrast, it is Christianity described by the word done, D-O-N-E. Jesus did what we could never do. He lived the perfect life we could not. He died on the cross to pay for our wrongdoings. Do is trying to appease God, never knowing if we've done enough. Done, Christianity is that Jesus died to pay the price. We receive the gift he offers us. Sanjav got it, and he said, so if you receive the gift, it doesn't matter what you do? I said, no, when we receive the gift of Jesus, our nature is changed. He said, Jesus called it being born again. So then it's our nature, in our nature, to do good deeds. So we don't earn God's favor by doing good deeds. God's Holy Spirit changes us so as a result we then do good deeds. Good deeds are not the cause of our salvation. Good deeds are the result of our salvation. Then I quoted 1 John five eleven. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, Jesus, has life. He who does not have the Son of God, Jesus, does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Sanjav said, I guess there's a big difference between all the other religions and Christianity. I said, yes, we have a guarantee. We were now at the terminal, and Sanjav thanked me, and both of us wished that we were flying the next leg together. That's a tool that you can use to talk about Christianity that God gave me the opportunity to share. And everything we do, every person we relate to every interaction we have, will push people closer to God or push them away from God. When I was in grade school, we used to go out, we lived in Southern Minnesota, and we used to go out to Western Washington, uh, Northwest Washington, a place called Bellingham, where my grandparents had a, a cabin. They had a cabin on Bellingham Bay, part of the Puget Sound and uh, one of our favorite things my two older brothers and i would go down to the beach it was sand and driftwood and a bunch of rocks and all kinds of stuff is is driftwood it was always floating in and so if we spotted a piece of driftwood we wanted to, to to get it was too cold to go in the water it was like 50 degrees it was just really freezing we would take rocks and we would throw it so it would land on the other side of the of the piece of driftwood and it would start moving in we would throw it again and Move it a little closer, and throw it again. Then if you threw it on this side, go back you'd have to start over. But every time we threw a rock, our goal was to, was to land the rock on the other side and pull that tr- piece of driftwood closer until it came all the way into shore. We spent hours doing that. You get these big, huge pieces of driftwood logs. It was, it was a great, fun thing to do. Well, I use as as an illustration of everything we do will either bring people closer or further away. It's like being part of a chain. There are links in a chain. And let's say there are 20 links in a chain that, that are necessary for a person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're trying to move them down the angle scale so they come to that faith in Jesus Christ. And, and you may be link number five. And it's important that, first of all, you fulfill that link in such a way that you draw them closer to God, not push them away, closer to God. And then you may just get to love them. You may do something that they say, I wonder why they're different. You may do something as link number 17 that brings them closer to God. It may be that you get to share with them personal faith. And it may be link number 20 that actually gets to pray with them to receive Jesus Christ. Now, just because you weren't link number 20 doesn't mean you weren't important. Every person had a a part to play in bringing them in closer to Jesus. Every link is important. And every person that you interact with, every one of them, is going to be drawn closer to God or not. And someday, you'll find out your impact on that person relationships, building bridges, giving a verbal witness, ministry to felt needs, and personal evidence, your unique story. Our job is to be faithful, to be the link, and to move people closer to God. And the question today is where are you in your spiritual journey? We're all over the map probably. And you may be here today and realize for the first time that Jesus came to establish that relationship with God. How do, we, how do we come to faith in Jesus? It means to believe in Jesus and place your trust in him. See, we're separated from God, but Jesus came to live and then he died for my sins to restore that relationship with God. He's the loving, seeking God, wanting to restore spiritually seeking people to that relationship. To believe in Jesus means to acknowledge I'm a sinner. I can't save myself and to place my trust in Jesus and accept his sacrifice as a free gift. It means making Jesus the leader in charge of my life, asking him to come into my life and take charge. And if you are here this morning and you want to do that, you can do that this morning. You too can have new life and eternal life guaranteed. The goal for this message series and our goal for Connect Groups this winter is to take the fear out of evangelism and to normalize it as part of our everyday relationships. And I trust that you'll be encouraged to develop those relationships with people in your life and become as comfortable sharing your faith as you are about talking about the weather or anything else. See, it really isn't rocket science. It's relationships. Let's pray.